Welcome to the Light Lounge. This is Thomas. I'm a lighting designer in New York City. Hello everyone, welcome to the Burning Man edition. I'm super excited because I speak today with Yulia Savelyeva. I hope I pronounce her name correctly. Um, Yulia is currently a lighting designer working for Arab in San Francisco. But we met at, well, we didn't meet at Burning Man, but we were at the same time at Burning Man and we still wanted to share our experiences and wanted to allow you to listen to. We talk about lighting, we talk about the event itself, and while we have been recording this conversation, she has been in San Francisco, so we hear some background noise of classic San Francisco. And me, of course, being in New York, there are always some noises in the background of New York. And in addition, that's like the little secret information, we hear her dog, Roscoe, as well, tapping in the background. So enjoy the conversation, and I speak to you at the end again. Hello, welcome to the show, everyone um, who's listening. <laughs> I am very excited, actually, to have uh, a conversation with Julia today. Hi, Julia. Hi. Do you remember how you heard the first time about Burning Man and what what made you actually go into it? Uh, interesting. So I, I think I, I knew about Burning Man since I was living in Russia. It's something that some of my friends went there and they enjoyed it and they loved it and it was just something always on my mind and I think at that time before even uh, design industry I I think it was just something like a new totally new type of festival and experience for people which was exciting but it was super expensive to fly from Russia so it was just kind of a little bit out of the question at that time and then Again, you know, New York and busy life. And I think my move to California helped us to kind of make it a reality, actually, because it's much closer. You just drive it from here. Um, oh, you drove um, by yourself? Uh, we, so there was a, we were a small camp of eight people um, and we had an RV, RV and two cars. Oh, mm -hmm. nice. So yeah. you actually had a shower. Not really. Uh, we, <laughs> um, I mean, the, the only shower we went to is this bubble. I forgot the name of the camp, but this is where yeah. uh, hundreds of people are all yeah. showering together. That's the only shower I had for the whole week. <laughs> That's I. I only heard about it. I actually didn't go to. But it's how did how did it work? Can you describe it? How did it, how does it work? So you know, you kind of waiting in line and they're preparing you they talking what's the concept behind the camp and it's about proximity to other and kind of accepting each other and no judgment space and definitely absolutely non-sexual space as well and uh, you kind of you know getting pumped by all these people and their stories and then yeah you go in and there are like i don't know several hundred people probably i don't know it looked like a lot of people and they're all pretty much naked, they're all dancing, and then you wait in line for the like shower area, and you get sprayed with soap and water, and you kind of shower it all together, and then you're out. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was quite a, I think, talking about it actually, it was so, um, 
kind of str strange and I was so I had so much fear to go in there for whatever reason but it ended up being totally like almost like normal experience somehow it sounded I think more crazy than when we actually were there um, yeah it was fun uh, definitely was that was that one of the most memorable experience you had um well not not really but i think it's a very good story of <laughs> but course it, uh, but it's not necessarily i don't think it was my favorite experience my favorite uh i think or something that really impacted me was actually the quality of daylight in the area and you know sunset and sunrise and you're in the desert and you have this kind of surrounded pink or purple mountains around you and that was fascinatingly beautiful to me especially when there is a kind of dust in the air or a sandstorm and the colors all the light during the night or during the day becomes kind of this wash of watercolor and you like walk in within it that was yeah. very cool um and then another thing that was quite interesting i think uh is the drone show where more than 600 drones made a performance one of the nights um it's the the artist the couple it's a couple um from netherlands from amsterdam and that was kind of also very memorable very I, i think it was maybe like five minutes or less but it was very powerful um five minutes how, how did <laughs> have, how, how did have it you work? seen it have it's, you seen it that's that's one yeah. part of it that i there because they're like almost like seventy thousand people attending it's just there's just so much happening it, it's a mm -hmm. little bit it's just impossible to see everything so i i unfortunately yeah. didn't see it but how how did it how did it work <laughs> it was at night It was at night, yes. Uh, and the thing is, if you don't know about it, it was very hard to find and very easy to miss. There was a bunch of architects there because big uh, architects, they they moved all their office basically there. Um, so there were a lot of people that I knew and some of them, um, Matt introduced me to some of the people from this artist community in one of our typical hot dog uh, camps. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, And then they went, They needed some volunteers, so I was like, oh, I really, you know, super interested, would like to volunteer. And I ended up not volunteering, but that helped me to kind of knew exactly what time they're going to start and where I should be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that was kind of in the very deep layer. They had their own base and they had to push people away probably like two, three hundred feet from this base because in in case a drone would fall and doesn't hit anyone so then at some point a bunch of drones would flew up in the sky and each of them have color so they can change the colors oh, and inspiration wow. inspiration for the piece was uh, the birth mermation uh, so it looked uh, quite uh, quite magical because wow. you don't really it kind of looks like a star stars in the sky because everything is dark around you but they moving yeah <laughs> so it's yeah that was very very cool um and I, i'm sure it's very kind of expensive uh type of uh, pleasure uh, actually 
did you did you talk about your friends uh, from from big architects about the about the what was it called? It was not called. It wasn't called Globe. It was like the aura. oh the 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 orb. Yes. The orb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, we talked. They had some um, initially. If you remember, they had some uh, problems with putting inflating it, and uh, thanks God, everything you know worked out, and they inflated the balloon, which was a lot of excitement. Hmm. Um, yeah, the piece is actually fascinating. They, I think, they moved the. The steel was, uh, I think, from Germany, actually, from a German company, a donation. And then the, the actual reflective fabric came from Spain. Um, so, you know, also very, very expensive piece that now, I think, is on its way to Copenhagen. I believe they're going to uh, okay. re remount it to there, which might be, I think working even better because of the dust the reflective material wasn't really reflective as much as i think everyone wanted it to be um but nevertheless i think it was quite powerful piece as well on the plier very present yeah very present mm -hmm. absolutely i was extremely impressed i was actually i i didn't i didn't see any pictures or any material beforehand how it actually would inflate until i understood that it was actually inflated and I think like the inflation worked very, very well. I think it was it was really like a one ball. It was like a sort of it was the shape was pretty much perfect. I think it was very, very smart. It, the only downside mm -hmm. was that that the dust that the material like lay on it a little bit stronger mm -hmm. than than expected. But yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The another thing is I, when I talked to my friend, he said that. They actually were planning to have some lighting initially, so that was designed and integrated into the base of the orb. But uh, then, uh, when uh, Bjarke arrived on site, he said no lighting, like he didn't like how it looks uh, looked. So I never actually seen it light up. I only saw kind of the experience of some light reflecting from it during yeah. the night. Yeah. Um, not very strong, but a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That I think uh, idea was quite uh, quite interesting. Yeah, I think that was that was the most powerful. Um, backing up uh, um, again a little bit, and I think that was the most powerful was actually the transformation from day to night. And I absolutely agree that the that the crispiness of the daylight was just. Like all the pictures during the day you see, mm -hmm. find on the internet are just so extremely crisp and clear, of course, because of the intensity mm -hmm. and how bright it actually is. But very fascinating, of course, the sunset and sunrise. And then at the same time, how like all the moving bicycles become like this own art piece in itself that you would see like all the blinking colorful lights um, mm -hmm. all on the playa. Yeah. Um, that was I thought I thought very impressive. Yeah, it was. I, I think in general I didn't expect it to be such a massive lighting festival. <laughs> I was right? just going to uh, you know Burning Man festival, but it ended up being like the I think one of the largest lighting festivals that ever existed, yeah. just because of the scale of it. Yeah. And you're right. Like at some point everything becomes a light 
installation just simply because of safety. If you're not lit, you're going to be hit during the night because there is no light. So that that's another very interesting, I think, concept there that lighting always exists there during the night, no matter if it was designed to be a lighting piece or it was just designed to be a lighting, uh, sorry, uh, designed to be an art installation, but just by the nature of the place, you need to light it during the night. Yeah. So some of the lighting felt, you know, uh, not as strong potentially than some other, uh, income, you know, income, if you're comparing all the installations. Um, but some of them, I really enjoyed the ad hoc approach, like very kind of simple, affordable, whatever we can do ourselves, very simple kind of, let's put it together. But also impressive because it needs to survive such a harsh, harsh environment for a week. Yeah. So. Um, also, what I thought yeah. was very, was very was very nice, authentical, and as you said, like simple, but yet super effective. You, when you had the, 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 the Burning Man sculpture and the temple, they had like these large um, sort of lanterns, like sort of street lanterns that would like mm -hmm. guide onto it. And mm -hmm. they would light the lanterns that was like actually burning, burning, um, uh, um, burning oil lamps. So mm -hmm. you actually would have like real lights or real flames and what i thought was very interesting that like it was a big part of the of inclusion that um let that disabled people would be part of this kind of um group that would set up every night like the same uh oil lamps what was very impressive they were dressed like very beautiful and they would hang up like in the mm. old streets of old city towns where there was no electricity yet they would just hang up the oil lamps on the lanterns mm. i think that was very mm. see it's like it's so yeah. it's 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 mm. there's just so much happening and i realized yeah. by what you share <laughs> what it, you've yeah. seen that yeah. there's just wow. um mm -hmm. just so much happening um yeah, yeah. definitely too much <laughs> you can see everything yeah and at some point i realized that i'm not gonna make it to many things that i wanted to be or to see because it's just impossible yeah. yeah. And I think one of the things that Brennerman time inspired me is to participate more next time and yeah. bring either my skills, uh, time, or even more gifts. Like we, we did, we, we brought a sort of kind of our camp gift to the community, but uh, next time you kind of see the value of given even more um, yeah so i mean ideally it would be great to be um part of the lighting and stuff you know to do the art piece there and or even to be part of the team that does it just to learn how it's uh, all getting set up because it's not an easy um place but yeah definitely it'd be nice to come back yeah i i absolutely the same i have absolutely the same opinion that like because it was my first time that like you observe a lot because there's just so much happening i think there are um our our profession or the architecture and the lighting design industry there are we can we can 
use our knowledge to make actually to make a get a, a good a big piece of contribution in terms of light installations i think it was all very very nice and there was a lot of lighting happening but at the same time um uh yeah i can see a lot of lighting designers getting much more involved in the festival and actually create uh even more beautiful uh moments yeah mm -hmm. yeah one of the things that i found fascinating was that you can go up to any sculpture and see all the wiring all the drivers yeah. <laughs> you can see the led tubes how how did they put it in acrylic so everything is so accessible in comparison <laughs> like if you go to any other place museum or gallery everyone yeah. is like touch nothing stay away you have you know like you have no idea how everything is working in there you can actually like see what's in where and how it's all kind of getting connected that was very cool so I enjoy looking at it during the during the day, actually, like just walking around and seeing <laughs> what's the technology behind how it. How it's made. So you like the mm -hmm. practical, rough approach? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was super cool. Like I literally digged out some drivers from the installation because <laughs> they they're just there. Like there, no one is watching you. You can like open up everything you want and. You know, of course, I didn't break anything, and it, yeah. like, I didn't damage anything. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that was very cool. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. So big thumbs up, big recommendation for anyone who who hasn't attended yet. It's definitely um, something everyone should try. Let us make like a small segue and. Um, get a little bit more information about you, where you are, where you're from. You already mentioned you're from Russia. How did you end up being in California? How did you end up being in the creative industry? And what are you, what are you sort of doing now? Mm -hmm. I'm from Russia, uh, from the town called Samara. And I moved to New York about eight years ago. Uh, to pursue the graduate degree in architecture and lighting design. And uh, so at that time, doing kind of both degrees, I guess I was interested in both. I don't, um, sometimes I, I was, sometimes I feel like I was more driven by the feeling than the actual like plan of action. Uh, and it just felt something that I would like to do. And then I worked in architecture. Uh, you mentioned this already. I worked in Stephen Hall Architects for about a year. Um, and it, that was, I think, very critical time for me to realize that, well, actually, I don't think I want to be an architect or purely architect. And I think I want to go um, and explore uh, lighting more and focus on that. Um, so then I graduated and I went to work for Arab in New York uh, in the lighting team and that, that the company itself is quite incredible. Uh, A, because it's quite different from all the typical lighting companies because it's giant. Lighting team is like one of the smallest teams in the whole company. Yeah. But you're also learning so much from people around you, what's happening, you have sustainability team. Um, I don't know, 
MAP, electrical engineers, uh, structural engineers, bridges, uh, tunnels. Like you understand the scale of the actual kind of built environment and yeah. uh, urban urban planning, and you pick up all the notions and uh, ideas. Currently, the whole office is really focusing on the sustainability goals of UN. And it it becomes kind of, we wow. we incorporating it into you know all all of the disciplines and uh, kind of it's it's in the air and I and I really like that and I think that also allowed me even though I'm focusing on lighting I'm also doing kind of many many different things including daylighting um, uh, maybe some art uh, installation. We're exploring projections. We're exploring some um, in kind of um, responsive. Uh, uh, a, a lot of digitalizations happening uh, in terms of the processes, but also um, in terms of incorporating it into the lighting uh, structure as well. So, yeah. Um, so that that's kind of. Arab started in, in New York and then my personal life took me to, to California and I'm super lucky that Arab has office here so <laughs> yeah. I, I just uh, I just transferred like uh, I mean I, I really miss uh, people in New York uh, definitely I don't miss New York yet uh, very much um, just my friends and my team in New York uh, but I'm meeting very good uh, people here as well so that's where I am right now that's uh yeah that's the that's the big advantage of uh working for a larger uh infrastructure and company that you have the ability to move mm -hmm. and change and explore yourself professionally as well as use it as a benefit for like private things that take you somewhere um you mentioned um and now you can you can sort of decide how much you're able how much you're able to share i'm I'm a little mm -hmm. bit interested about processes, um, how you approach every new project. Do you have like very specific str strategies and like um, developments in place? And I mean by that is, do you have like a very is because every project is very individual, but do you still have like sort of a map plan where you just plug and play things in place? Or do you develop every project absolutely individual? It sounds like that you have what you just described, and I'm, I'm, my my question becomes probably more diffuse mm -hmm. right now. But you mentioned mm -hmm. you have like mm -hmm. a, a very very large variety of projects. Um, mm -hmm. Do you use a lot of like standard software, more engineering heavy based? As like Revit is of course a software that's like coming up a lot that. Things mm -hmm. get implemented in a larger concept. Can you like talk about a little bit about that as well? Uh, okay, so yeah, Revit is you know happening, but I actually didn't have a lot of uh, Revit projects yet, uh, and I think um, you know some of the things that when you start reusing some of you know kind of blueprints of some sort comes with experience as well, uh, yeah. the more you work on the same projects. I just didn't have, uh, I think, enough experience for me to to kind of reuse a lot of the things. 
but definitely Arup in general has a huge database of projects and references that you can rely on, including people's expertise. So if you have unusual project, you post it on Yammer that connects all the lighting groups throughout the whole world, including Australia, Indonesia, uh, I don't know, uh, Russia, actually Russia don't have the team there anymore, but uh, you know, Spain, England, yeah. and you can post the question and say, hey guys, have you ever had this issue wow. before? Have you had this pro problem before? Uh, how did you do this? And so there is a constant uh, exchange of experience, knowledge, and just like general, some people would be like, hey, I saw this exhibition, it looked very cool. Um, so th this exchange is definitely happening. In terms of... Uh, um, I, I mentioned automan, automation or digitalization, which is very present right now. It's something um, more about using technology to help you to do some of the repetitive tasks faster. For example, you know, putting the uh, I don't know, specification package instead of you manually dragging everything in InDesign. Uh, team developed the software that automatically puts them for you inside. Wow. So that saves a lot of time wow. and you can spend this time doing something more fun than yeah. putting yeah. know, <laughs> PDF inside InDesign. That's not oh very interesting. Mm -hmm. I did this so many times, like uh -huh. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and I was so, mm -hmm. yeah, like the stupid <laughs> repetitive work, absolutely. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah, so definitely it's one of the kind of exciting things about Arab that we do have resources to to put and invest into developing it. So it's someone's time, someone's knowledge, you yeah. know, Arab, there, there is a program, uh, Invest in Arab, which you can propose a project and then um, if it's something that they see as a benefit for the for everyone, then they can give you money, and then you can work on this, developing this tool at your work hours. You know, wow. so you you gain paid for doing this, which is quite incredible. I mean, it makes it makes sense in the in the large scheme because in the end, it saves them money again as well, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other kind of the the um, things that we reuse is for daylighting. We use Radiance, so we would reuse some of the programs. But actually, no matter how many, even if it's the same, the same daylight autonomy calculation for, you know, it's for the even the program would be Office. It's always there is something that you need to tweak it a little bit. Um, but at least you can tweak it from a base, or you have a foundation, I guess. Yeah. To tweak it from. Um, what is your what is what do you like what do you like to do what is the most fun what's the most fun part about being a lighting designer so of course you you never stop being an architect and you never probably stop being a lighting designer but your focus seems like like your focus yeah, the, the understanding of being an architect is probably like always like 100% present but as a lighting designer where what do you like to do best or most <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Uh, I guess I'm enjoying the project that would 
um, pushed me to learn something new. Um, would this be a software? Like last, we had this kind of side, small, another investor narrow projects I was part of, and for that I had to learn um, gaming uh, Unreal Engine wow. program to do the VR um, scene to render the lighting in certain ways. So people would have their Oculus glasses and they, I recorded the video, someone walking with their flashlight through a sculpture that we 3D scanned before also was, you know, amazing technology and we put it within another amazing technology to produce the third image. So <laughs> there, is a, there is a lot of things and actually I'm doing it as a lighting designer. Wow. So that that's very exciting for me. And I think another um, reason for that is just being in California, being in San Francisco and seeing the, yeah. the whole the whole city is, you know, young tech people, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm also quite critical on this, but that's not the point of this particular dialogue. But uh, the benefit is that you're exposed to all of this and you see a lot of resources and kind of it's happening in front in front of you and it just energizes you somehow. Wow. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's very exciting. Do you have, um, do you have presentation, how do, are your presentations to clients like sort of still like 2D or, so I heard uh, from, from another office, uh, iCrave for example, I heard that they have sort of set up like a, like a room where clients just wear VR glasses and then they sort of can walk through uh -huh. the room as it is designed. Um, yeah. I mean, of course, it has, it has, uh, That's good. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, we do have this room as well. Um, I don't think it's utilized as, you know, as often as it one day might be, um, but it's definitely moving this direction and there's a lot of research, um, is going on how to make it all work together. Um, and uh, I know project that we use this uh, technology uh, for for clients. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's I think it's very interesting because, and that's another conversation probably that that we can have in the future. Um, but <laughs> about renderings and uh, the the pros and cons about how how mm -hmm. super realistic or even more crazy you do a rendering and then potentially fall back on something that might not actually achieve it not uh -huh. disregarding the quality of of Bjarke's art project of the of the orb but the renderings uh -huh. that were produced before were like so amazing that then in the end the little dust cover was not completely destroying it but it was like a little tiny grain on the salt um, yeah. yeah well that's I mean that's a it's a process. We're all learning, you know, you envision something and then you you learn that it's not working the same way. And I think it's just I mean uh I had a experience uh, at projects when you know, I render everything, I lay it out in Rhino and then you come on site for the moment PS1 installation and you just you know, you talk on the phone with the client, yeah, we're just going to attach it. And then you realize on site, they have no idea how 
they're going to be attaching this and it's not going to be attached to with a tape as they thought they can attach lighting with the tape and <laughs> and it's just like you kind of working out and you're learning on you go and things come up that you just couldn't anticipate when you were doing the rendering and the rendering also that I produced looked totally different from how installation ended up being. Um, I yeah. don't know if it's a yeah. good or bad thing, but it's just, yeah, it's reality and uh, reality in your mind. <laughs> it's very different things. I mean, I'm, I mean, the I think the approach is always very good that you should aim for the vision and what you have in your mind before, right? And then you see mm -hmm. how how to get there and what's the best process. Mm -hmm. um, but that's maybe another good uh, another good segue that you just made. Um, so for everyone who doesn't know, the MoMA PS1 is, and, and uh, Julia, please interrupt me if I describe it completely wrong. The MoMA PS1 is like sort of the little sister of the MoMA of New York. And it's the MoMA PS1 is showing more con contempor contemporary art pieces. Is this right? Mm, yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the great the great part of MoMA PS1 is they have like a, a, a large open a large open air space. And in the open air space during the summer, um, and that's like a recommendation on the side. They have these uh, warm up uh, parties during the summer. And I've been since I moved to New York. I've been there like every time every single time and it's like absolutely amazing you have music art installations but and now where Yulia comes back into play is that they have part of the yeah maybe you you share so they have like mm -hmm. the what is mm -hmm. it called the young architects yes young architects program yap and uh, it happens it's a competition for selected uh, architect small architectural offices there are emerging and kind of more prominent people in the industry, including architectural critics or famous architects or people from the museum, they select um, you know, a number of architects and then they reach out to them, uh, invite them to this uh, competition. So it's quite pristine. It's uh, quite uh, known in the industry and a lot of young offices get recognition or um, Kind of get maybe not recognition. It's uh, too much, but they they are very they they get noticed um, definitely because of yeah. this competition. Yeah. So um, I was part of the one of the shortlisted uh, team. Um, the the architects called the dream dream the combine uh, and uh, yeah. So they they reached out to. Um, so okay, let me back up. So the the team is actually Dream the Combine with Clayton Binkley, who is a structural engineer from Arab, and okay. they they knew each other from university, and they're very good friends. So when Dream the Combine got selected, they uh, invited Clayton to collaborate on this because the structure is quite complex and. Part of the piece, very, very important part of the piece is the actual structure. So Clayton then reached out to my boss in New York, who then passed it out to me to see if I want to participate in this competition. And then 
Yeah, we worked, uh, we worked on the proposal. Um, I produced material for their um, kind of official presentation. Uh, yeah, and then we won. And now at that time, I was already in San Francisco. Um, so I continue working with them from here. And it was uh, quite a unique uh, experience to, to produce something so ambitious in such a short period of time. Yeah. So how many people? How many people worked on on the whole thing? You and. Uh, you mean from the lighting or from, in just in general? Yeah. How many? How many lighting people? How many architects worked on it? So, uh, architect is Dream the Combine. There are two main architects, and then they had a team of interns and students who were helping them, you know, to produce stuff. I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then there is a structural engineer, Clayton, and his team, which was Kristen, and then I think several people in New York also were helping uh, to do some things as well on the structural part. And then in lighting, it was me, and uh, then as a, I'm not a senior person, so I had, a <laughs> I had someone who would QC my work, uh, which is Janelle, uh, is the San Francisco leader um, here uh, of lighting wow. team. Mm -hmm. Well, have you uh, been, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's it. I think I think you're absolutely right that the competition is, is, is very um, prestigious and in itself it's the competition in itself is already prestigious, but then actually getting selected is uh, is something very uh, yeah. I think it's honor. you know yeah. I think uh, the the name and the experience is all super recognized among many people. I have to mention uh, that when we arrive on site um, and the architects were super super behind. Uh, we realized that, and they, they didn't have a budget for electrical engineer. Then I, I just, and I had like two, two weeks till the opening and wow. uh, I reached out to all the people I know at this moment and, <laughs> a lot, and a lot of people were extremely generous with their time, including some, um, you know, friends, students from Parsons, uh, from my uh, class, and there, there was, I, I think there was about 20 people who contributed, you know, a, yeah. a range of time from, um, you know, someone who was there every day, from someone who was there maybe two times a week, but it, this wouldn't happen if we didn't have such a big uh, support of uh, people who, you know, believed in it and wanted to experience it, wanted to learn because that's uh, worth noting that again, when you come on site, you realize whatever you're drawn on the paper is totally different. Um, yeah. And that's a quite a unique experience to actually for lighting designer to be able to understand how all these DMX fixtures are wired and you know we all just wired all, all the low voltage we all wired ourselves. Wow wow that's a lot of work unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah it's a, a little crazy um, but I hope that people who, who did it now understand how the DMX wiring works and it's all daisy chained and you know 
you actually need you know it takes a lot of time to do it and you know it's yeah so it was quite a unique experience for sure uh, always oh uh, i think that makes the the lighting designer always a part of a bigger thing uh, not of course because light in itself is already bigger in itself and it's hard to grasp how much quality it actually can bring to a space but at the same time how many people are actually needed to mm -hmm. to realize starting with a small one in hospitality if it is a restaurant or up to like a museum where you have so many different people working on something to, to bring something together it's um mm -hmm. always very yeah. significant when it comes out yeah yeah absolutely yeah, it's always a big. Uh, it takes a village <laughs> to yeah. to produce stuff. Uh, and also um, another thing that I should mention that um, we were so lucky that uh, Qtran uh, manufacturer and Insight Lighting they they got on board and they donated all the light fixtures. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a lot of fixtures um so i'm super super grateful and i it's actually extremely inspiring for you know for young professional to see that there is a lot of support in you know manufacturers world for art yeah and they were so super interested in that yeah I think that's a. I made uh, last year a similar experience of a donation that happened for for Burning Man, as well. That mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. the art. The art community is uh, is a very important one. Yeah, to be mm -hmm. to support and to be supported. Yeah. Okay, um, we are we are um, uh, pretty far in our time. <laughs> uh, and um, is there? I'm want to ask if like if you have one or two main recommendations for San Francisco or any other mm -hmm. project you would like to sort of put a plug for that you think that should be definitely checked out or recognized um, and mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah um, I'm, I'm actually gonna tangent a little bit uh, into something that we haven't talked yet about but I'm getting more and more interested in um, sustainability and uh, um, uh, climate change and uh, whatever is happening right now with the animal world and uh, our oceans. So that's something that partially maybe I became more aware by moving to California as it just seems people here are just more conscious about this in comparison to New Yorkers that um, um, and uh, I'm not particularly clear yet how this relates to lighting specifically and to whatever I do right now, but I would encourage whoever listens um, kind of start thinking about it, that we don't just exist separately from this. And despite the fact that our industry not directly related to that, or we're not the people who are you know, supposed to solve these issues, we still live and exist on one big planet together. And this should be as our concern as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, so if you, um, if you have time, and if you're interested, um, I wrote down the book, uh, 
uh, that I think would be worth mentioning. It's called Loving the Planet by Helen Caldicott. And love, she's a... Can, sorry, say it again. Love and... Uh, no, loving, loving... Loving the planet. Loving this planet. Loving this planet, yeah. Loving this planet by Helen Caldicott. And she's quite famous environmentalist and um, that um, set up her kind of podcast, like what you're doing, uh, yeah. with very um, prominent uh, world environmentalists to talk about all the issues that we're facing today. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of, it, the book set up as a conversations with each chapter is a conversation with different person. But the, I think for someone who um, might be uh, interested and, in, you know, to know where to start, I think that's a good, uh, good book. Absolutely. I could not support this more and um, 100%. Thank you so much for, for bringing this up. <laughs> There's um, now like sort of closing the circle of like Burning Man of like actually matter out of place and looking after what you actually produce and what do you do and what kind of an impact you have on the world and of course it absolutely heavily relates to lighting that because of any kind of energy use is absolutely tied to how we treat our world and and how we do that so mm -hmm. I I could not thank you more <laughs> uh, Julia for for this for this recommendation I will definitely have a look at the book and of course at uh, at Helen's um, podcast as well and will um, yeah put her her book and the information in the show notes and mm -hmm. is there any way um, how people can sort of contact you if they have any questions if is there like uh, any Instagram uh, connection you want to uh, you want to put yeah or? I yeah I definitely it's uh, my uh, name and my last name at arab.com that's my email if you want to reach out or if you want to see where i'm up to on instagram it's again my email and my last name. i guess it might be easier instead of me spelling it here i'll just write it down to you thomas sure <laughs> and I so will... people can see it in your notes uh, or somewhere of course because yeah it, my last name is i know it's given some uh trouble that's totally fine yeah. julia thank you so much for your time and um i'm very sure that we speak uh, each other soon again and um i wish you wish you all the best in san francisco and um yeah thank you so much And here I'm jumping in again at the end. Um, I just want to say thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with Julia as much as I did. I will put all her contact details and recommendations in the show notes. If you want to say hi and you have any recommendations or you just want to be nice and say hi, um, just text me on Instagram. Uh, my name is Thomas Mnich. Uh, the handle or the details like Thomas underscore Mnich, last name M-N-I-C-H. And so long, uh, yeah, guys, just stay awesome. Enjoy the sun, uh, enjoy daylight, uh, and appreciate the glow. Um, appreciate the glow. Peace out.